Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. Jesus, we magnify you, Jesus. We magnify you, Jesus. You're good to us, Lord. You're good to us, Lord. Praise the Lord, everybody. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord. Let's pray over this, and then we'll dive right into our lesson tonight. Jesus, Lord, we are so grateful for another opportunity in your presence, another opportunity to study your word. Help me, Lord, to teach in a way that you can anoint. Help me to say everything you'd have me to say, nothing more, nothing less. Let the seed of your word fall on good ground tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We are in our 29th lesson of the book of Revelation tonight. We've covered in our studies 16 chapters thus far. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 17. I do want to right at the outset beg your forgiveness. Uh, tonight we're not going to have much of a PowerPoint. Uh, I'm just, I've just got the scriptures to put on the screen. Um, that's my bad. I just ran out of time tonight. So if you'll bear with me through that, we will have our 29th lesson of the book of Revelation. As I was saying, we studied so far 16 chapters. Uh, through John's visions, we've seen the judgment of God poured out upon a sinful world. We saw the judgment of God poured out in three different groups of seven, seven seals, seven trumpets, and then seven vials. We understand through all of this, through our study of the judgment of God, that God is not only a God of mercy, but then He is also a God of justice. Not only is He a God of love, but He's also one of judgment. And that's one of the essential reasons other than it being the inspired and inerrant word of God to study the book of Revelation is that it gives you a total sense of who God is. That He's not just a God of love and a God of mercy, but He's also a God of justice and judgment. In chapter 17 and chapter 18, we have another break, if you will, from the chronological events of the end time that John is is showing us through this book of Revelation. John is going to receive a vision which gives him special insight and context for the final days. In chapter 17, which is what we're going to be studying tonight, 
we are introduced to the great whore, as the Bible calls her, and we will see the role that she plays in deceiving the entire world. And it is a great role at that. Let's dive right in. We're going to look first at verses 1 and 2 and verse 15, and it's important. It goes with verses 1 and 2. And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Then if you skip down to verse 15, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So we have here one of the angels, John says, that poured out the wrath of God from the seven vials. He comes up to John and he shows John a vision. He first sees a great whore, great harlot, who is sitting upon many waters in his vision. So wherever, the reason I added 15 is this is important, wherever it is possible, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. Here we have specifically uh, a Scripture interpreting what we see in verse 1. It is not up to us to decide what the many waters are. Neither is it up to us to decide that because in verse 15 he describes the waters in verse 1 as being peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, does that give us the ability to go back through the book of Revelation and find every place where water is mentioned and decide that that is symbolic. Rather, we trust Scripture. And this isolated moment, the angel gives us the interpretation, shows us that it's symbolism that is being seen, and he explains the symbolism to us. In verses 1 through 6, John sees a vision, and in verses 7 through 18, the vision is interpreted to him or for him by the angel. In verse 15, as we just noticed, The waters that this lady is sitting on is symbolic of peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So what we understand right off the bat, what John sees, a revelation, if you will, a vision of the end time, he sees this great whore, which is a representative, as we're going to see later, of apostate religion, idolatry, rebellion against God. She has total control over all unbelievers in that day. Everyone who is not a believer in that day is given over unto idolatry, false religion, false belief, apostate religion. Not only that, but as it says in verse 2, all of the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So every king, every leader, every uh, person in charge with any kind of authority has bought into the lies 
that this lady, this, this end time, one world religion presents uh, to them. <clears throat> They've completely uh, bought into the lie. It also means that they are wrapped up in and committed to the universal religion at that time, this one world apostate religion. And you say, how can it be that there's going to come a time when the entire world are going to come together around one universal uh, religion? Even now, the wheels are turning for that kind of thing to be accomplished. I would argue that it's the spirit of the Antichrist that is at work in our world even now if you'll pay attention. We've been for a long time trying to push towards a a one world currency. Even now, forces are at work to devalue the U.S. dollar. It's, it's one of the only things standing in the way right now of a one world currency. Even now, there is a... Uh, an, an order or a fellowship of the universal churches uh, where they are trying to gather together and the religions of the world are trying to gather together and agree, uh, find, find their common ground, common things that they agree on. Even today, this is happening, even right now. And it's going to be so much more so uh, in this day that we're reading about in the book of Revelation. They're going to have one thing in common. And that one thing in common is hatred and opposition of the truth. They will agree on everything not true. They will allow you to believe everything not true. But the moment that you stand on the truth is where they decide that's, that's enough. We're not going to be able to handle that. We're not going to be able to take that. So even now, these forces are at work, but in this day, it's going to happen. There's going to be a one-world religion where everybody is a part of except those that are believing in that day. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. So he carried me away, again, this is John, in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So the angel here takes John in a vision to the wilderness and literally that word there, it's literally a desolate place. So he brings him to a desolate place and he shows him this vision of the great harlot and she's sitting upon the beast. The beast, of course, represents the Antichrist and his kingdoms uh, who will use this universal religion, this one world religion to deceive the entire world. They're going to do it together in unison, in agreement. The woman here, she is seen as wearing expensive garments and jewelry, typical dress of an ancient uh, prostitute. She's wearing purple and scarlet, and she is decked with precious stones and pearls. And it was a sign in that day uh, a harlot would wear her riches on her. And uh, forgive me for 
being this blunt and clear, but what she is saying is, I'm good at my job. And the great whore in this day, representing the one world religion, she's rich off of what she's done, deceiving the entire world. The entire world uh, has bought into her lies and her craft. She is seen holding a golden cup that is full of abomination and filthiness of fornication. Verse number 5. And this is where we find out who she is and what she is. Upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So here we have her name revealed. It's revealed to John who it is that this lady is. Now, I'll just say I'm going to stick with what's available to us in the Word of God, but this subject is hotly debated. Uh, there's many people who have come up with many different theories as to who this lady is. I'll tell you who I think she represents based on what the Word of God says, and uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Scripture says that she is the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. In other words, this lady is the source of all idolatry, all paganism, all false religion. You ask yourself, how can this one world religion in, uh, in the book of Revelation be the source of all false doctrine and all false religion and all idolatry from the very beginning until now? I'm glad you asked that question. We're going to talk about it. It's the spirit that is involved, that is behind her, that's behind the operation here, that has been around forever. In order to understand this, we've got to go way back to Genesis. Immediately after the flood, God tells Noah and his sons, go repopulate the earth. Spread out, be fruitful and multiply, repopulate the earth and do it for the glory of God. God wanted his name worshiped and praised in all corners of the earth. Immediately after this though, it's less than 100 years after this has happened that the people begin to worship other gods. In the land of Shinar at a place called Babel, we find the birthplace of all pagan and false religion. And it is shocking to me, this is less than 100 years or around 100 years from the time of the flood, which means the stories are still very strong and very much passed down. They know who God is. We'll talk about that in a minute. They know who God is. They know what God has done. And yet this people, this stiff-necked people, has decided to rebel against God even then. So in order to understand this, we need to look at Genesis 11, we're going to look at 1 through 9. It's what it says, this is the story. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Fascinating, right? Everything in the Bible, it's there for a reason. So God says spread out and repopulate the earth. A hundred years later, these, all of these people had decided to go east and gather in this plain called Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. 
and they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They give you their motivation for what they're trying to do. It is direct rebellion against the instruction of God. That's in the heart of these people and in the mind of these people. Verses 5 through 9. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. By the way, uh, that's not talking about uh, because they're in one mind and one accord, they can accomplish anything that they want to accomplish. That's not what that's talking about. Uh, but because they are in one mind and in one accord, there is no uh, sin that is off limits for these people. Everything is getting ready to be loosed. And so anything that they've imagined to do, nothing's going to be restrained for them. Let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left, uh, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So here's what happens. First, these people rebelled against God's mandate to spread out across the entire earth and populate it. They come to this one place. They decide they're going to build a monument to themselves. They're going to uh, make a name for themselves. And if you've ever heard of the Jewish historian Josephus, he believed that they tried to build this uh, tower out of waterproofed uh, material. And if that's true, that's fascinating, right? Because why would you need to build it out of waterproof material where they were at specifically? They shouldn't have had to worry about that. The reason maybe that they decided they needed to build it out of waterproofing material is because, again, this is within a 100 years of the flood. So I, I come up with two reasons. Number one, they evidently believed in God. They evidently knew who God was but refused to worship him and refused to serve him. That's in the heart of these people. But they know who he is. They're just uh, actively and intentionally rebelling against God. Number two, the reason that they would do this is because they had to have been afraid that he would try to flood or he would flood the earth again. So these people, the arrogance... They are trying to build this tower. They're trying to waterproof it. They're in direct rebellion against the command of God. And they're trying to protect themselves against the judgment of God. And this that is in the heart of these people has been in the heart of all people for all time. There is this, there is this wickedness that is inside the heart of man that tries to rebel against God. It's active in our day. It's going to be active uh, sevenfold in, in the uh, day that is to come, uh, when the end of the world is nigh, those people, we talked about it before, 
no matter how serious the judgment of God, no matter how much of the wrath of God is poured out, they refuse to repent and turn. And it's the same thing. This is, this is the start of it. This is the fountainhead of that mindset that we can, we can try to rebel against God and we can actually fortify against his judgment, his judgment that is to come. So what does God do? God confuses their language and he forces them to scatter all through the earth. And in so doing, they brought idolatry and paganism and false religion throughout all of the earth. It goes back to Babel. And it's in this same spot, Babel, that Babylon was built, the great city, a little bit uh, later in history. So this is, when we read of Babel in the Bible, sometimes it's referring to the actual city of Babylon. At other times, it's referring to the spirit that's behind Babylon. The spirit that's behind Babylon. There are three foundations of man-made religion. Number one, faithlessness or rejection of God. Number two, disobedience, that's rebellion against God. And number three, legalism, faith in our own righteousness. And these people had it all. And it all starts with Babylon. Unless you believe that that is a spirit for the end time and a spirit for the beginning, that spirit is very much alive and well today. I like to put it this way, Babylon is everywhere. It's that spirit. It is no coincidence that in Babylon, they tried to force the three Hebrew boys to bow. Bow to your false God. Bow to false religion. Bow to idolatry. It was in Babylon where uh, Daniel had to decide that he was going to stand up for God, and the three Hebrew boys decided they were going to have to stand. And that spirit, that spirit of Babylon is alive even today. And it started back then. Right here in Genesis at the Tower of Babel. This is the fountainhead of what we see today. Every false religion came out of this experience right here. Every form of idolatry came out of this experience right here. So when we go back to Revelation 17 and we read verse 5 and we find that this, uh, this lady, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth, you say, how can she be the mother of all of them? It was that spirit back in Genesis that is still around. It plagued the world even then and it's going to create a, a new kingdom uh, in, in the end time and it's going to deceive the entire world, that spirit that's at work, even now. What does that spirit sound like right now? It sounds, uh, that, that spirit that's at work, you need to learn to identify the spirit of Babylon. It's that pluralistic idea that there's more ways to God than just our way. There's more ways to God than just Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus was very clear. He didn't mince words. He didn't confuse anything. He made it very clear. I am the way. The spirit of Babylon says Jesus is a way. And it's good for some, but not good for others. And the Bible works for some people, but Buddhism works for other people. And Islam works for other people. It's a lie. Either you've been born again of water and of spirit, or you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Amen. That's how you identify the spirit of Babylon. What is the spirit of Babylon? It's at work in Hollywood today. 
Anything that would cause us to worship anything outside of Jesus is the spirit of Babylon that's at work, that's pressing in our world today. It's in music, in entertainment, it's in Hollywood, it's at work all over the place. Any kind of spirit that would cause you uh, to lessen your love for God, that would cause you to put your love and your trust in anyone but Jesus Christ is that spirit that's at work. And one day that spirit is going to conquer everyone but those believers. And the Antichrist is going to use that spirit of Babylon to create this one world religion where everybody is on the same page. They're all confused together. It's not that they're all worshiping a fake version of Jesus or they're all worshiping Islam or they're all worshiping their things together. They're all worshiping a lie together. Amen. That's what's going to happen at the end of the world. Let's look at verse 6. This woman, this one world religion, John says he saw her drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. The only thing that that spirit hates, that spirit of idolatry and false religion, that spirit of false doctrine, the only thing that it hates is one God believers. The only thing that it hates are people that stand on the truth of the word of God. And here's the truth. Jesus said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. But we've got many Christians today that we want influence in the world and we want the world to like us and we want to get along with the world. I'm telling you that the closer you get to Jesus... The more like Jesus you look, the more like Jesus you act, the more like Jesus you reflect, the spirit of Babylon that is in the world is going to hate you and put pressure on you to bow and to let loose of this message that we have. Amen. And what we feel today on a minor level, they are going to feel on the ultimate level. And it says that this lady, this religion is drunk on the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs, which means that they have decided that if you won't worship with them, that you don't deserve to live. You ask where that spirit comes from. It's the spirit of Babylon. It's the spirit of the world. It's that same spirit that got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar that said, if these three Hebrew boys don't bow, I'm going to throw them into the fire. That same spirit, it's, 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 it's a spirit that's been around for a long time, and it'll be around at the end of the world. Verse 7 and 8. And the angel said unto me, Why did you marvel? Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carrieth her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell in the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. Here the angel tells John that he's going to interpret the vision for him. So we don't have to guess or wonder. The angel is going to interpret for him. The woman is idolatry, false religion. The beast is the Antichrist. John understands both of these. John doesn't need those two things explained to him. He understands who they are. But what he needs explained to him and what is going to be explained to him is the connection that they have together. 
And that is what the angel reveals. The beast is described as the one who was and is not and yet is. This is a reference to his miraculous resurrection. We studied earlier in the book of Revelation, this Antichrist is going to receive a wound and it's going to, whether or not some people believe that it actually is going to kill him and he's going to rise from the dead. Others believe that it's a show that he puts on and he just convinces the world that the wound that he suffered was fatal. Either way, either position that you take, the world is deceived by what happens. And this is a miraculous resurrection uh, from their point of view. So that's what it is talking about when it says that he was uh, and is not and yet is. It will deceive everyone but the saints. Verses 9 through 11. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. Amen. So what he sees here and what a lot of theologians, they get hung up on, a lot of readers of Revelation, is the seven heads or the seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now, there's many who read that and they say, well, this is obviously Rome because Rome is built on seven hills. Uh, It's referred to seven hills. Um, Some called it seven mountains. That's clearly what has in mind. And so others would say that it's not referring to Rome. It's referring to the Roman Catholic Church because of the seven hills and the allusion uh, to Rome. However... And this is where you, the Bible really is a simple book, it is, and it's meant to be understood. And you don't have to confuse yourself with Scripture. The Word of God says, The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, and there are seven kings. So the Bible calls them kings. The seven mountains are seven kings. And then he goes on to explain who the kings are. Five are fallen, kings or kingdoms. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. So when you look at that, there were, at the time of this writing, at the time John wrote this and received this vision, five empires of the world that had already come and had already fallen. Those would be Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. It's not essential that you believe that that's what's being talked about here, uh, but it does, through history, seem rather obvious. So it's possible that those are the five. And if those are the five, then the one that is, that's the most obvious one. Because the power that was uh, at work in the world at that time was Rome, and it was unquestioned. So the one that is, is Rome. And then the other that is not yet come, that one too would seem, in my opinion, to be obvious, and that would be the empire of the Antichrist that is going to come at the last days, but is not here yet. And he must continue a short space. That tells us that when the Antichrist steps on the scene and establishes his kingdom, he will have a short reign. 
It will not be a long-lasting reign. Many of these empires lasted for a while. His reign is going to be short-lived. Amen. This is 12 through 14. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So here we have, we're told that there's going to be ten kings or kingdoms during this time that were previously unknown to the world. That means that they hadn't been established yet. They weren't in existence yet, these, these ten kings. So it's hard to, and there's many people that try to identify, you know, who are the ten kings. Uh, it's possible that they won't be identifiable until this time comes. So it, it may be that, that, that may not be, it may be an effort in futility, as some would say, to try to identify them before it's time. They could be one of two things. Uh, either it could be a ten-nation confederation that is around at that time, or, and more likely this is the case, it could be that the world is divided into ten kingdoms uh, who the Antichrist puts in charge of these ten uh, areas of the world and gives them command. One thing they have in common, they've got one mind, and they're going to give their power and strength to the beast. They're, in, they're completely unified around this cause. They are completely unified in their commitment to the Antichrist. And they're completely unified in their commitment to wage war against Jesus. They're going to make war with the Lamb. If that's not exactly reminiscent of what happened in Babel, then I don't know what is. In Babel, they all come together. They decide they're disobeying, they're rebelling against God. They're going to build this tower. They're going to waterproof the tower to make sure that God can't wipe them out again with a worldwide flood. Complete rebellion, making war against God. In this day, these ten kings are going to make war with Jesus. And I love this. And Jesus is going to overcome them. Why? Because He alone is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And it says they that are with Him, and we're going to talk about who is with them, with Him uh, later on in the book of Revelation as we see Jesus come back on His white horse with the saints. But those that are with Him are those that are called and chosen and faithful. Those two things that are out of your out of your control, the called and chosen. One thing is in your control, faithfulness. And Jesus said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And see, everybody is all caught up in, in all, of the, all of the other stuff. How many, uh, how many people have you witnessed to? How many sermons have you preached? How many songs have you sang? Uh, and all of that kind of stuff. And all of that's good and it's important. And you're going to show fruit worthy of repentance. That's all fruit of living for God. 
But the one thing that Jesus is going to identify, that Jesus is looking for, that Jesus identified in the Gospels and then here in Revelation is also identified in those that really serve Him and those that are with Him in that final day, it's faithfulness. It's the people that just show up. It's the people that just keep serving Him. When it's popular and when it's not. When family is serving Him and when family's not. When friends serve Him and when friends choose not to. I'm just faithful. I'm just going to keep worshiping Him and serving Him. I'm going to keep believing His Word. That's faithfulness. And that's what Jesus identifies as that thing that is necessary. It's faithfulness. You don't need to be the most talented person. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be on the platform doing any kind of service. What you do have to be is faithful. Faithful to Jesus. Faithful to His Word. Faithful to His kingdom. Amen. And that's the one thing that's going to be the hardest thing to do the closer we get to the end of the age. It's going to be just plain faithfulness. When the world decides, right now, uh, and it, it, it's kind of scary, we, we just recently, probably in the last month, would have considered Canada to be one of those strong democracies like America. Canadian Prime Minister has decided he doesn't like uh, the protest that's going on, the truckers. If you've read about it, I'll let you read about it. Canadian Prime Minister decides, I'm going to enact emergency powers... And so because they're protesting, he's able to go into their bank accounts, into their investment accounts, and wipe everything out because these people are protesting him. And you believe that there's a day coming, that there's not a day coming rather, when living for God and somebody in charge doesn't like that fact? And maybe it is that you're a Bible believer and you believe marriage is between one man and one woman, and you believe that your gender is not assigned to you at birth, but that God creates you either man or woman, that they're not going to be able to decide that, well, this person is, uh, is bad for society. I'm going to eliminate, I'm going to bankrupt him and force him to get in line or force her to get in line. That day could easily come. And if that day comes, what's going to matter? Are you faithful? Because only the faithful are going to be able to look into that, into that opposition, into maybe everything you've worked for in your life being taken away by the push of a button because everything's going digital. Push of a button, everything taken away because you serve Jesus. Are you faithful? And at that moment, that'll be the day when our faithfulness is either going to shine or it's going to be revealed that what we were built on was something less than faithfulness to God and to His Word. And I'm not trying to scare us tonight, but I am trying to prepare us. I believe that's the goal of the preacher, to prepare, to show that everything that's coming may not be easy. But faithfulness is always an option. Amen. Let's look at the next couple of verses. We dealt with 15 at the beginning, that's why we're skipping to 16 and 17. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast... These shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree, and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled. Sister Melanie, if you want to come, I'm, I'm wrapping it up right here with these, with these last verses. So what is this that happens? Initially, 
the Antichrist is going to need this one world religion in order to get everybody unified around him and around his purposes. It's okay if you're Christian as long as you don't serve Jesus the Bible way. It's okay if you're Muslim. It's okay if you're Buddhist, you know, whatever. We're all going to unite and everything's going to be okay. And then a little bit later, he and his kingdoms, they're going to unite around this. They're going to hate that one world religion. And the only reason they're going to hate it is not any truth that's there because there's no truth in Babylon and in the spirit of Babylon. The spirit of Babylon hates truth. But what they're going to be united in this hatred of that one world religion is the fact that they're worshiping other gods but him. So the Antichrist, full of the spirit of the devil, is going to be jealous of the fact that not... It's not even jealous of Jesus anymore. He's jealous of the fact that they're serving anyone else. And he's going to, along with his kings and kingdoms, they're going to wipe out any vestige of this one world religion. And then it's going to truly, I guess, in that sense, become one world. Because nobody's going to be able to worship anybody but him. Anybody but the beast. Any worship of anyone is going to be killed. And look at this. Lest you believe tonight that this is a part of history that is outside of God's control. Lest you fear in your heart the things to come. Look what this verse says. Who put it in their hearts to fulfill whose will? Fill the Holy Ghost. God put it in their hearts whose hearts the antichrist and his kingdoms and his kings to fulfill whose will his will and to agree and to give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled God is in control you make no mistake about it we don't fear the antichrist we don't fear his kingdoms We don't fear where this world is headed. We're going to stand in opposition against this world and the spirit of this world and the Antichrist and the spirit of the Antichrist and the spirit of Babylon. But we do not fear. And we don't fear because God is in control. And the reason they're working in that day, the reason they have any power at all is so they'll fulfill the will of God. All of these things have got to be accomplished. It's been prophesied in the Word of God. It has to come about. And whenever it finishes, glory to God, when we get to chapter 19, Jesus comes back on His white horse to establish His kingdom forever. He's in control for all time. We do not, we must not fear and we must not worry because our future and the future of the world is in God's hands. Amen. We'll just stand. I don't, I don't know about you, but I take comfort from that. I know what it's saying. It's saying that, that he's given them more power. And that he's, he's putting, in, putting things into their heart. But I have comfort that Jesus didn't relinquish any authority. Jesus didn't give up any control. He said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. 
And we're in set chapter 17 in the book of Revelation, the end of the world, wrath of God being poured out. And it's pretty obvious Jesus hasn't relinquished even a little bit of his authority or power or control. He's still in control. Amen. And you know what? This is what encourages me tonight. If in the worst hour the world has ever seen, this is it. That's the worst hour. If Jesus even then refuses to relinquish authority and control, even now, he is in control. And I have nothing to fear. And you have nothing to fear. The world is shaking. The world's in a bad place. America is in a bad place. But Jesus is in complete and total control. Not worried at all. So in this hour where it's te- there's a temptation to become afraid and to become fearful because we don't know how things are going to turn out, fight against that with the knowledge that Jesus is in control and that he's not relinquishing his control. I wonder if we could find a place to pray tonight. And I wonder if you could just pray that God would encourage your heart in that truth. Jesus, I'm grateful that you have not relinquished control, that you're in charge. Could we do that? Thank you, Jesus.